0: Behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it.
1: Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast, guys. I am fortunate enough to be sitting in the studio with Michael and Keegan of Nonprofit. We well, me and Keegan had a conversation today about fitness, as we always do, um, talking about movement and how we used to, or we still see today um, athletes with oversized traps, <laughs> erectors, I <Okay>, would and erectors, <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean that they are efficient movers, and I think this kind of moves well into, one, being out here now and seeing how you guys do things, um, seeing how well Michael does move, and trying to get other people to do the same thing, and then in line with the strength module. Um is a eye opener for me in terms of hey movement's probably a little bit more important than what's on the weight of the bar yeah. to be completely honest
2: I mean to give you <laughs> to give you an idea of um well, maybe people don't realize what we do, but uh last night, I took a group of people we did some hopping. you saw when we were hopping. Yep. I thought you um, said hoppe Hoppe. <laughs> <laughs> we do that too usually somewhere else um but we're we're just hopping and, and because they're like I like rebounding on small boxes, like maybe six, eight inches, something like that, and we move up to maybe eighteen if okay you're you know, you have some wherewithal. Um rebounding will teach you rhythm. And I think rhythm is totally ignored in anything. Like and so my idea to like build this into you know, the on Wednesday nights we move. There's no weight included, generally speaking, yeah. and there's no plan either. It's usually like seeing where people are at, seeing how I feel. I basically make people do what I feel like doing because fuck
1: them. Like <laughs> <laughs> they I, don't know what they need, anyways. Coming in,
2: no, and I, I need to get my thing. And so I usually gear it mostly towards me. But if I see how you know somebody moves, and I go, ah, they need help. And last week I noticed when we we're doing kind of a, I don't know bear crawly uh pop out thing it's like
0: a movement flow yeah if for lack of a better way to put it for people that are listening
2: yeah and basic basic like two or three moves um and then sequenced in a line and so um i just watched how people and it was very like thump 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 thump, and it was really off beat like how they place their hands i was like oh man that's that's a terrible dancer like so, my idea was to play a song that makes you kind of want to dance, okay. and I was gonna make people two step for a half an hour. Just- so
1: not the two step like in a hardcore show, like
2: no. <laughs> not picking up chains, but it could turn into that, yeah right And, and that's the whole point is a two step at least you're on rhythm and you're moving back and forth, and then you can half beat it so bump. And so to watch and, and we you can't do it in big groups, honestly. Because it's embarrassing, like people feel fucking ridiculous, yeah. and I feel ridiculous doing it. like we're two stepping in a gym looking at each other. So how I set it up is I'd play two or three songs and they're really fucking good songs. Uh, they like, I think you have to dance to them
1: or, or they sh- make you dance.
2: They may- yeah, they like they give you they give you the urge to be like, "I don't care if you like this type of music. you can't help but just be like, "Oh man. That's a really good song to dance to In fact, I'll play it Is it okay if I play it? You're gonna get taken off of your No, you're good So We explain like Okay Everybody circle up I, Once you feel the beat You just I'm like I'm already rolling You start moving, right? And then you like shrug your shoulders Maybe you put some head movement in there and then one by one... You look like around. a white girl driving yeah. a car right now. Yeah, exactly. I feel like a white girl. <laughs> I'm just missing my white claw. <laughs> so, so individually, one by one, I go out, I do a little move that's different. doesn't yeah. matter what it is. I don't care. It doesn't have to be complex. You just have to use your rhythm to get into the circle. Do your. It's like a break dance pit. You're just like, now it's your turn. And
1: then you like go around. i watching Soul Train right now. Yeah. I get it. I yeah. dig it.
2: Right?
0: It's just... We're all dancing right now. Literally, head bobs are just going... You can't (laughs) help it. No, you can't.
2: (laughs) Anyway, so the point of that is that I think rhythm is inherently more important than strength. It's more important than... like If you can find rhythm, you can move well, and you don't really need big muscles to do that. You need to be free of an idea that it's embarrassing. Like I think that's what you're getting rid of. So after we dance a little bit, I put them in the line. They have to go A to B, two people at a time, and... You need to get down the floor in a
1: non-repetitive uh, movement way. Has to be different every single time. Every single time has to be different. But has different. to be in rhythm with what you're doing.
2: Or, or yeah, or so like link things together, together. right? Okay. And at first, like, everybody's really fumbly. They don't really get it. And it's like magic. After, like, three times and people fall on their head trying to do, like, weird shit that they have no business doing, finally, like... They realize that no one gives a flying fuck about what it looks like, and they start moving, and they're free, and they actually start connecting shit that I'm like... To, like this guy, Tom, you know, he's like mid-40s. He started working out like two months ago. He's never done any of this shit, and seeing what he can do, he's like doing front rolls and yeah. headstands, and he's doing back rolls. And I was just like, who the fuck is that guy? Like, <laughs> I've never seen that guy before. Where did you transfer? Totally. transfer <laughs> where was the transfer head? But he had to get rid of the idea that he looks stupid we all look stupid and so that that's mostly where i like i don't know where i was going with that but to explain the movement thing
1: well what's funny you bring that up, because i took a class today sam told me about uh soul yoga oh nice our school yoga quite, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's it is pretty much you walk into the class and i got to experience it this morning i walked into the class and it's actually a movement flow session with upbeat music yeah. and it's lights are off and they have different types of low light red, green, blue however else and it changes and sh- the, the, sh- the teacher mm. throws on music with it and it starts in this low dynamic movement flow very basic yoga movements and she's talking about hey guys become free no one cares what you do in here and there was only four of us mm-hmm. one really good yoga <laughs> chick that was in there just getting after and there I was, believe it's
0: called a yogi
1: yogi I'm sorry <laughs> Then there was some new, new just dropping into town. And then obviously it was me and then some other other lady that was in there. And the new person, she had never experienced that. But she was able to flow due to the fact that the lights were off. Yeah. and No one was able to look at her and see what she was doing. No matter how incorrect the flow was for her, yeah. she was able just to find that rhythm due to the fact of being free.
2: Oh, man, I'm gonna hook up the fog machine
1: next time. It's <laughs> oh, well. It's it's he, he started
0: telling me this, and I was like, "That's literally like what fucking Michael wanted to do last night." <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's then,
1: like I thought about you too. I was like, "This would be a great Wednesday uh, night session." I was like, "If
0: we turn the lights off and put that machine, that or whatever, yeah. that little light machine that yeah. like shows the stars on the ceiling oh, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like a candle or two, just enough so nobody like runs Trips into a over wall, the squat yep. rack or something. But I I feel like that'd be really really cool.
1: And it was like yeah. this. It was, it was like in the way I. I Thought about it. it was like, all right, cool. I increased this dynamic, and then I was I was in this threshold of movement flow, yeah. but I was super free. I was able to get through and flow with it. And then there was an even harder flow, hmm. and then from there it was like, all right, how fast can we get back into recovery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm doing breathing work after an hour of this flow session. Mm-hmm. Lights are off. I open my eyes and it's pitch dark. It was. It was an experience, and I came out, and I've had energy all day from it. Like It was a different experience I've never experienced. It was a a mind-opening session that I was like, Michael and Keegan would fucking love this.
0: (laughs) I didn't realize (laughs) how positively the halftime show at the Super Bowl affected me, but I want to shake my hips like Shakira. That's funny, because I heard it was satanic. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I didn't find it demonic at all. I thought it was... I was
1: <laughs> really impressed at that, at, at that age. What were they, like 45 and 50? Yeah, were yeah, they saying yeah, yeah. that they were moving that well still?
2: Yeah, it's like a lifetime of moving allows them to. Um, <laughs> 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 I just... Uh, the fucking... Con- Sorry, I couldn't help it. I know, yeah. I can't help it either. There was a, an internet comment about how the Super Bowl is satanic. I don't know if you saw it. No, I did not see it. He's a fairly well-known athlete. Um, he's a good athlete. He just proved he's not a good thinker. Oh. But, but but besides the point, yeah, I, I think dancers, usually though, and this is kind of the weird part, dancers move really well, obviously. They're all coordinated. Um, but they're missing some expression. And that kind of brings us back to they generally have no idea how to contract, like no idea how to exert power or force or to be explosive um unless that is tied into a move that requires it like I guess the um uh, the one thing I could think of that like if you were an ice skid it'd be like a triple Axel or something where oh, I yeah. need like height in order to turn or in some forms of ballet you need height so you learn how to jump um that aside when I see dancers come into like a gym space and they like, try to get fit they're very good at mimicking
1: movements. They're terrible at expressing them. Which is the contraction you're talking about. Yeah. And and you, you did a really good job this week in expressing that, and you showed it really well throughout the symposium when we did that thing on Sunday when we did our movement breakout session. Mm-hmm. That's where it clicked for me. It was slowing down and watching you focus on all right, I'm gonna contract his shoulders so it can hold me in place. Yeah, And then also, I'm gonna contract my, my trunk so I can go ahead and rotate around. And then I'm gonna go ahead and place the other hand and contract to hold me in position. And when you broke it down that way, and then we started expressing it, mm-hmm. you saw everyone move 1% better. Just,
2: a, yeah, and it, it's, it's fractions. Like, I'm not, I don't consider myself a good mover.
1: Um, you move better than most human beings.
2: Sure. But when I look at people that like, and I say that because like, I'm just learning this stuff and kind of teaching myself how to do it. And that's where I, like I'm at. And like, I'm not, I'm not getting paid to show people like flow or anything. I'm really just trying to figure out how to move through different positions that I think are important to me. So a lot of it is jujitsu focused. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the positions, like the bear crawl, the squat position, um, like getting inverted kind of deal. The sit throughs you do a lot of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of sit throughs, like pop outs, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them, Um, hip bridges. A lot of those are just like, well, I can see where this is applicable. Uh, And a lot of turning. Like, I I think a lot of being able to rotate around, back and forth, flip over, back. And and now I'm working from like inverted to arching and then arching back to inverted. And like, I have a really hard time with that. It does not look good. It's not pretty. I have to train in secret. And then once I figure it out, I'll share it with other people. people. So I, by no means, am an expert at this stuff, but I find how useful it is to apply to other things. Um, I've all but like quit weightlifting. Like I I think you've seen. I mean, maybe one or two sessions every other week
1: or something. Yeah, we were actually talking about that yesterday.
2: Yeah, and that's that. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like you and I. I think have spent so much time doing it that the return on investment for weightlifting and Keegan included is just like. It's so small. Yeah. Like two, like, let's say if I lift an hour a day, five days a week. Um, hours. Yeah. And let's say like, what's the return? How much stronger am I going to get? How much better is my movement pattern going to be? I, it would take me probably three or four months to get back to my best. Right. And then beyond that, it would probably take me a year to get better. So I'm looking at, <laughs> and that would have to be like a
1: singular focus
0: on yeah. those things.
2: For
1: sure, we have to be. You become a specialist.
2: For sure, and 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 really, especially, I'm not that fucking good at it. Like, uh, maybe my potential for like snatch is maybe somewhere near 300 pounds. I know it's close to that, um, but it's clean and jerk is not that high. Maybe like 340 or something. Uh, it's just like I'm just not that person. And when I go, okay, I can spend all my time doing this. What would I learn from it?
3: Yeah, uh,
2: I'd learn how to be patient. I'd probably learn um, how to deal with injury. Um, I'd learn how to deal with boredom, and I'd probably learn how to deal with like getting fat because it doesn't just it doesn't do enough for me. Oh
1: man. <laughs> I was gonna say it doesn't sound like you learn anything you haven't already. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the the whole fat aspect, right? And like that's something uh, I saw an Instagram post the other day and it was an athlete missing a snatch forward. Okay. And the individuals I know coached at athlete mm-hmm. have put on about ten to fifteen pounds in the past two years just Games. focusing a hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. Mass moves mass, but mm. at what point does mass become unhealthy mass that doesn't benefit you to
0: move heavier weight three hundred and sixteen w- pounds <laughs> yeah that's say, all if was- you want specifics <laughs> to an individual
2: at what point does mass is mass unable to move exactly right so mass does move mass and it, but eventually it just becomes solidified um that's a good question. Yeah, it's, it, it's.
0: I mean, coming from the world where, I mean, I know you did it too, yeah. but like, I went in to powerlifting like two seventy two, and came out of powerlifting like three sixteen. Damn. It it almost turns into like a. It's an excuse. It's a. I don't know if cop out's the right word, mm. but you're just like, oh, cool. Like I lifted heavy today. Like I let's go eat pizza because this is working because yeah. I burnt carbs. Right, and now, <laughs> right.
2: Because <laughs> I, burnt, I burnt a carb. I burnt a
0: carb. And you started being like, well, inflammation, I'm puffy, leverages are better, like I feel stronger. But there's definitely a moment where it's like, oh, I fucked this up. Like mm-hmm. if I felt healthier, was healthier, moved better, didn't have this inflammation, maybe I'd have a longer career Yeah. In mm-hmm. in whatever the sport is where people keep saying mass moves mass. Like there's definitely... And I don't know what it is for every person. Yeah. I think I know what it is for me now in a sport I'm currently unwilling to do. Yeah. But yeah. everybody uses it. I mean, it's I hate to get into this, but it's it's almost like a a body positive I don't like the way I look, but I'll pretend like I do cuz the barbell has more weight on it. I fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast over?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's so we have a very diverse group in this in this room right now while we're recording, right? Powerlifter you want me to start from the beginning? No, no, right? Like we got a power lifter, we got an emotionally a hairdresser, a hairdresser, <laughs> an emotionally damaged veteran who chased multiple <laughs> different types of sports to patch his fix. Yeah, literally what it was, which at a point helped me express who I was. But at that time and moment, though, when I got to that that potential, where it was like, well, now I got to specialize in this if I really mm-hmm. want to become that much better. And what drugs do I got to put in my system mm-hmm. so that I'm able to get a that potential because it's no longer about my well-being or health it's about what's on the bar
2: right yeah and in which case i go like and i have no moral problem whatsoever with taking any substance it's a free-for-all yep. for me like if you want to experience something by all means go get it yep. like i do have a problem when people take things when it's against the rules of their sport because now they're you know even if other people are taking it uh, and it happened in cycling to me there was loads of guys taking stuff and what I saw from that, what I learned, because when I was like, man, should I take some stuff for that sport? Like, I would really like to try EPO. I saw what it did. People did fucking awesome. And what I saw was like, when they lost, they were so much more crushed than I was. Yeah. So that that was really interesting to me. Is like what, what, and you mentioned the weight on the bar being so important. When that's so important then you'll do anything to do it and i think yeah that you'll risk more you'll take more things you'll do whatever but the are you gonna walk is it gonna be useful if once the thing what's the substances leave your body and once the weight on the bar will perpetually go down because of age and decline yep. or interest or whatever how how is it gonna affect you like are you are you just gonna be like well i can't do it anymore and then so you don't touch together yeah which is a normal reaction, I think. Like, if I'm not going to get better, I'm not going to do it at all. Which I don't think is helpful. It's not. I, I fell into that.
1: Yeah. Coming from a full-time
2: weightlifting background. But, if, a- you, but if you can't get to that point, then I'm going to do this thing until I hurt myself and I can't do it. And I have the excuse I was looking for. I hurt which myself. Is, which is what I was like. That's kind of what I needed. I needed to hurt myself so bad that I quit wondering whether that thing was useful or not because I knew now I know that it isn't useful. Yeah. Uh, Even though it feels good to go pull, you know, 500 pounds off the ground and be like, yeah. Snatch 300 over your head. Yeah, I could still do that. That's cool. I can't still do that now, but it, it, like, that's the feel good. It's, that's it. Yeah. It's just satisfaction.
0: Uh, I was just back to the performance enhancing drug thing, at least from the people I've seen. It seems like the, people that go into it with a good head on their shoulders, meaning they've kind of gotten to a point in their life where they're you know mid twenties, late twenties okay this is this is probably as strong as I'm gonna get mm-hmm. outside of you know a one to three percent increase over the course of years, and then they go on things mm-hmm. with the understanding of okay, this is how strong I am without them this is we'll see what happens with them, and they're okay with the point that at some point competition is going to stop these aren't going to be the thing that they need to do anymore they go back to you know natural or whatever you want to call it and they seem to like be okay with that process where the people that they're like fuck it I'm 20 I want to show off I want to you know crush the world I'm going to take over powerlifting they're hurt by twenty five, hurt at twenty six, hurt at twenty seven, still doing the things, still doing the stuff. Retired at thirty one, right? Or <laughs> no, yeah. straight up, like you're completely your career broken, fucking broken. We're like, cool, you had two good meets for one year, but you're too fucking stupid to realize like that you need to slow down. And it's like it became it becomes a mindset in powerlifting where it's almost like if you're not hurt, you're not doing it right. And those are the people I think that really struggle with the identity of that sport.
1: I remember i remember i remember i remember watching a youtube video fucking 2013 or 12 where i forgot who the powerlifter was but he was talking about like saying if your elbow is in pain and you're bench
0: pressing fuck your elbow and lift the <laughs> weight off your shoulders or that, off your chest smart that was that was mark bell <laughs> <laughs> he's got a pre- he's actually got a pretty cool video about fuck your elbow that he's explained in detail after that but it, at the time it was kind of like Just fucking do it. But that was his mentality.
1: That's what I'm saying. I was going
0: back to that. That was the mentality at that time and moment. And and it wasn't a health thing. No. It wasn't anything to like make him live longer or feel better. It was he wanted to crush people in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. So fuck your elbow. It it was
2: required to compete at the highest level. You have to do yourself harm. And that's why I have a problem with the term like health and fitness being combined because they're mutually exclusive at some points. At most points um and that's (laughs) people like get into fitness they're like oh i want to just get fit and you don't realize like well if you get as fit as you're possible that's not healthy anymore like it really isn't the fittest in any given sport and i mean truly the fittest you could talk about crossfit you could talk about cycling you see you know ultra running anything you see those people they're on the verge of decline and usually just like holding on until they don't decline um, see a Tour de France rider on the last day of the tour; it's like a human skeleton. You see, you know, a crossfit athlete in the peak of
0: training, and they are broken, broken. Generally, um, and I was gonna there... say, even watching, like seeing Zach bitter after he set that world record. I mean, he's phenomenal. Yeah. But after that, like you see him, you know, walk off the track, and you're like, like you look like a human skeleton. Yeah. You're like that is not health. Mm-mm. And coming from that world, like the next day
3: mm-hmm.
1: having to walk. Ooh, is it, impossible is, is impossible right and something that i've done with my ultra athletes is like hey my gauge in in health for you is how do you recover the next day mm-hmm. right hey are you able to walk the next day <laughs> are you walking like a fucking like like you just ran 50 miles or 100 miles and if you're able to walk normal i say we hit the mark now if you walk if you come to me and say i'm broken and i can't walk the next day we didn't do something correctly throughout the process in which you look to achieve that goal. So this is something that I've implemented in myself to help control,
2: especially with like capacity work, like the ability to, you know, general physical preparedness stuff, like hard intervals or whatever. If I do a timed workout, it's the time that I finished plus the time that it takes to recover, to repeat the exact same number. So if I do, let's say, you know, a triplet and it takes 21 minutes is my finish time? This I then start timing how long it takes till in my head I could go. I could do it again right now and get twenty one minutes exactly. Now some workouts, th- this is where it helped me. Is like some workouts I can finish in ninety seconds, turn around and do twenty one minutes again, mm-hmm. because I guess I just didn't go that hard. Yeah, which is good. That's training. Like that. That that shows me my seventy five percent to eighty percent is like repeatable, repeatable. after two minutes for sure if i can't repeat it in two minutes i'm lacking base i need to go back and do really easy long stuff some of them i do five say that again (laughs) (laughs) if i can't recover and it doesn't mean i go harder it means i go back and i go easier and i build more volume to support the recoverability um and i know you're gonna bring up the interval thing (laughs) I was waiting for it. <laughs> you mean intervals aren't the answer? They are. I think everybody should do intervals all the time. They should go as hard as fucking possible. They should eat vegan, and then they should lo- let me know what sport they're in so I can go compete against them. Yep. I, I think that would be awesome mm-hmm. for
0: me. <laughs> can, can I read this? <laughs> yeah, cool? go for it. Okay. Sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, So there was an article or a, a study posted on the internet. We don't have to go through who it's by but it's short versus long intervals, and it says a new study suggests that short intervals induce superior training adaptations on endurance and performance parameters compared with long intervals in elite cyclists. There's a lot of verbiage. I'm going to read the next paragraph and call it at that because the beginning of this paragraph is very important. After a period of high-volume base training, 18 elite cyclists with an impressive average VO2 max of 73 milliliters a minute per kilogram were divided into two groups. The rest of that's totally irrelevant. Some of them did 30-second intervals. Some of them did five-minute intervals. Again, keywords, high-volume base training elite cyclists. This is not your everyday average CrossFitter. This probably is hardly any CrossFitter for that matter. This I would say this doesn't actually apply to most CrossFitters in any way, shape or form. And it's missing the point and it's just leading people down the road that we went down with CrossFit endurance six years ago where it was like, just run 400 meter repeats and you'll crush a marathon. Or an ultra marathon and go and try and compete and fucking fail on your right, face. Right, which anybody yeah. who tried that realized how fucking stupid it was. And now we're back. And now we're into nasal breathing. To that exact same thing. <laughs> So, so
2: there was another important part that I think most people miss in that. Their test, like what they're using as a, a, a performance prediction, is VO2 max. I was about to go there too. Yeah. And this is like, <laughs> this gets me every time because they're using VO2 max. Shorter intervals are going to improve their performance prediction. No shit. Yep. It's, it's what that system is it's what it's meant to do true and okay there'll be some tag along from lactic threshold or however you want to measure um power output but that is not the determining factor in an elite cycling race does not vo2 max no so you're performing you're you're improving a parameter that isn't indicative of success therefore the test is not the test the test is winning fucking races yeah the test, the lactic threshold, wattage, whatever tempo, whatever you want to say that you're testing, has it doesn't matter. Like I, we we literally just had this podcast with Billy Ennis, who's the kind of USA team development yeah. for um, for the junior yeah for juniors, and he was when I was asking him like, well, so how do you select? I'm like ah oh, well there's a, I mean there's tons of guys with good numbers like they they can test all day long they put out good numbers. Um, but there's few people that have good race numbers where uh-huh. they're like first, second, first, second, third, you know. Most people are all over the place and have good numbers. The guys who win
1: races sometimes don't have good numbers. The VO2 max number it, is actually a lot lower than the individual who is in second place. Sure. And that that is all but like
2: VO2 max to somebody who's looking for an athlete is all but irrelevant. It really is. I, I can't imagine a scenario what i where i would ever fucking care about that i don't even care like threshold is interesting if you have a monster if you're just like i just want to see it like it's like you know take your dick at and like let's see how long it is flaccid and then then okay now let's compete and where i think this goes wrong is like people that know they have important like oh i've got good vo2 max i've got you know good threshold they never learn to actually race or they never learn how, to, how to
1: express that threshold in a race setting.
2: Yeah, because it, they think that they're talented, so they go use it and then they use it all up and now they're worse than the person who's saving and like being strategic about when they use their efforts. So Joe Friel talks about this as matches. You light a match and go. And then you only have, you know, you only have ten matches ten, yeah. or whatever. So if I'm I feel man, I know him so much better than everybody and I'm burning matches, you'll blame everybody else for your failures too. So the, uh, the coming back to the like how I would use these recovery bouts is sometimes I do a five minute effort and I start timing mm-hmm. you know how what it would take me to match that Sometimes it's like 48 hours. yeah, it's like 48 hours and five minutes and then I could repeat yeah, that. Yeah. that allows you to know when I could go again, which is also a secret into progressive training (laughs) as opposed to man i'm killing everybody i got the best numbers i got whatever that doesn't mean anything either because you have no idea how hard somebody else is going unless you're in a a a real test a real competition and in which case you don't care what your numbers are because you're beating everybody that's the point of competition um but i thought that was a useful metric for myself at least
0: my first thought when you said that was dante's triathlon Mm Mm-hmm. And so far, it's going on almost a year, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm thinking may come to a halt in Australia, but who knows? I did I did version two. Yeah.
1: And that was fun. And it did take me a while to bounce back from that.
0: I, I don't think you could convince me to do even the first one again right now, yeah. probably because I'm a little too tied to my outcome on the second one, but whatever. Yeah, that, that's like talking to
2: um, Payson about his <laughs> FKT in White Rim. Yep. Like he beat it by a landslide and then somebody bested him like the very
1: next week or something and he went later. the opposite he went he started he, it from a different point than what Payson did sure too.
2: but asking Payson like when are you gonna do it again he's like I don't know no. like that took everything and he's like I think I could do better obviously like he's not afraid of that and but what it cost him to set the pace and and like to go that hard yeah it's probably be a year before he does it yeah. again I was like so that tells you what you're burning when you're actually going hard, as opposed to man, I have this friend time and this inside my box or whatever you know, or I'm comparing my programming to other athletes that my coach programs for. It's like that could be useful in most cases, it's
1: absolutely not, not at all it's a I, the recoverability aspect has been a huge part in how I view training in myself mm. because of the fact that different types of intervals produce different responses in my system that i have to recover from i know that i can do a zone one zone two effort Mm -hmm. multiple times a week and i can recover very well from it Mm -hmm. but then when i start hitting anaerobic power intervals for multiple sets with two to three minute rest in between i can't come back and hit those same workout again the next week even if i tried and not just from a Physical standpoint, but from a mindset aspect, which which is, where's the difference?
2: Like, at what point um, can I not repeat it because I don't have the mental capacity? And how is that different than my body being tired?
1: That's a great. That's I'm still trying to figure that out. Sure. All I know is I can't, and well, I don't want to use the word I can't. I don't have the desire mm-hmm. to go ahead and repeat those efforts. A week later because i know what it did to me the previous week so i'm going to change it up and try and have a different response
0: yeah i think that comes to with just knowing your body because uh, i think the people that do chase performance metrics because they see you know their training partner or their instagram crush or whatever the fuck it is they base what they want to do off of what they're doing where i know like if somebody went in this gym right now and did dante's triathlon and beat my time or my score I don't know if like that would be motivating enough for me to even give a shit to do it again because I don't know if I can do better. Mm. Some of it because of fitness, but a lot of it because mentally I, like, I know what that felt like. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> it's also the environment that
1: you guys do create. It, that's something Savannah told me today. She came and mm. took your class. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She and did good today. Thanks, buddy. She was excited about it. She a uh, totally different person afterwards, so nice. we're going to get her in here more. Well, she even said that, she was like, that was the first time walking into a space and not feeling like I had to crush my soul, yeah, yeah. and everyone else around me was not worried about my time. It was more about am I getting the work complete?
2: Yeah, yeah. We we premise that to give you an idea of what we did. Um, we warmed up with like some body flow stuff just to get people moving, open up their hips. Do I, I when I find as like a group like they just generally are shitty at sitting into uh, like a third world squat, so we work on that beforehand. And I'm also reading kind of how people are moving. So I came up with, you know, I wanted to do some deadlifting um, with a barbell, but I wasn't opposed to using kettlebells or something if you were kind of afraid of it, or even like moving the barbell up off of a platform if you wanted to cut it short a little bit. Um, So we did three rounds total of 25 calorie machine. You get to pick whatever one you want. Most of the girls pick the biker. (laughs) <laughs> and then inside of that there's two rounds of uh 10 deadlifts at close to body weight but something where you could hold it for 10 reps like nice. you could hold your spine structure for 10 reps there was no worry it doesn't mean you have to it just means that when we're warming up if you get to eight and you feel kind of funky you should drop some weight off and, and that that's like there is no important standard other than I made it clear, the more you can train a movement without getting hurt, the more you can train a movement I love without getting
0: hurt. <laughs> it's, no, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to deadlift if you can't get out of bed. Exactly. From <laughs> exactly. personal experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah.
2: Um, and then over that, we do lateral bar hops to emulate double-unders, to take the skill out of it, to, but to impose the same kind of percussion. Um, and so you go through that. So ten, you go 10, 30. 10 30 then back to the 25 then 10 30 10 30 so three times through and the one thing i turn on the timer and i'm like okay guys go but remember remember what you're doing you're not competing posture and position are key yeah try to get like try to look as elegant as you can throughout the entire workout which means you know don't get to the point where your hands are on your knees and you're gasping for air try to be smooth try to be cool Yolanda can you be cool yeah. <laughs> bitch be cool like this. <laughs> just be cool and that way like I just want to see everybody go through this kind of high workload and get out of it and be able to have a conversation right after yep. if we can do that then I'm not worried about you know next time we do something and I go okay now you guys get to nail it now you get to play with it and then you can get out of breath and do it but I'll usually do it on safe machines so yeah. that's how we set those things up there is a timer but it's totally irrelevant
1: yeah, it's a, it's developing the skill is the way I look at that, right? Like everything we do, back squat, deadlift, no matter what the object is that we, we use, it's a skill in which we need to have to come into this space to where we don't break ourselves, but we're allowed to promote well-being.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess when I envisioned like what I want my gym to be, like the area that I want to be able to train in, It wasn't like I want to have fucking monsters here that could do like, you know, 300 pound snatch and like are deadlifting 500 plus pounds all the time and squatting big or even like big capacity guys like fucking fire breathers. All that stuff is cool, but it almost hurts everybody else, which is everybody. Everybody. You have one, like we have Aaron and she's definitely a fire breather and she's kind of a freak and she can do everything pretty well. And that's what I wanted, the quality. I wanted everybody that could come in and kind of do everything well. Yeah. Like you hand them a dumbbell, they don't, they're, not, they're not awkward. You hand them a barbell, they know how to do basic shit all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like They can clean their body weight, snatch heavy enough to get the movement down so that if we program in, you know, in the workout that there's complex exercises, nobody bats an eye. They just go to the appropriate load, and, and I don't have to worry about it. Um, so th- that's really what we're still working on is not getting people to this freakish point where they're beating everybody, but to this freakish
1: point where they move unbelievably well. And when someone watches them move, they're like, wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I want to make the distinction. Cause when you're talking about Savannah and the other people that were in here, so you have a group of moms. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have anything planned. Mm-hmm. You watch them walk in, you have a conversation. How's it going? How's your morning? Blah and blah Sean. blah. Don't forget Sean and Sean. Sorry, Sean. Um, <laughs> And then when we do have elite athletes come in, like Sam Elias, Mm -hmm. is that his last name, Mm -hmm. who's a phenomenal climber, the distinction is there isn't one. No, They're treated the same way. The thought process is the same way. There's no like, oh, they're really good at this. That means we can crush them or whatever, or... <laughs> they can handle volume. It, it's yeah. not, because people go, oh, you're teaching a class full of soccer moms, and you took it easy, and whatever. Like, no, that's what we do with everybody. Yeah. And even our Friday night throwdowns, like, there's some of us, you could say that we excel based on the number that there is on a monitor, mm-hmm. but within the effort, we're all doing the same thing mm-hmm. within the parameters of our own capabilities. So while somebody might finish first... Everybody else is still working their asses off. Yeah, and it—I feel like it's on the people in the space who are, um, who do have the bigger base, who have been doing this longer. At least that's how I feel when I'm, you know, competing—not competing, but working out with everybody else in teams or whatever. That it's like to, it's on us to uphold the standard. It's not based on the time we're putting up, how fast we're doing something. It's that we're all putting out the effort we need to to put out for the workout that we're doing. Yeah. That makes...
2: I guess the standard, if I had a standard here, is don't get hurt. Actually, don't hurt
1: yourself. I like that. Yeah, don't hurt yourself. So that later you can hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've come to the point, especially with Softly, in terms of the template-style programming that we do put out. They... When the user, the individual follows the programming, I've now really focused on the intent and energy through my writing within the, the spreadsheet mm-hmm. to really emphasize good movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the goal here isn't to crush you. There's enough companies out there that, that do that already. Yeah. Let's make a difference. Do you know how easy it is? It's, it's simple. It's really 500 easy.
2: 500 meter row for time. Anything less, uh, anything more than 130 is unacceptable. Like, <laughs> yeah, you'll
0: you'll figure it out.
2: Yeah, yeah and even like a one twenty nine is not fucking good, but you're gonna feel it.
1: Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it, it's a it's been an eye opening experience since moving here and seeing this approach because it's something that I really harped on back in 2015 mm-hmm. when I opened my own gym. Yeah, the goal was, and I call it the ground up approach, and it's something that we focus on. You learn how to move on your back, mm-hmm. learn to move on your side. Then nice. you move into quadruped position, and then you go to tall kneeling, half kneeling, or whatever the individual needs in that position, and then we go to standing. Yeah, interesting. It, and it's we look at a baby. What's their progression to for them to get to their feet? Yep. And you watch a kid do this or a baby do this. You see this progression to where they're at. Most individuals don't know how to walk nowadays.
2: That's a good point. I, I, I like that approach other than I would hope that my clients don't shit on me.
0: Other well, than that. figuratively or literally? <laughs> Both. <laughs> because I, I think when you're an me. adult, you still shit on people a lot. It's just different. Yeah, it's, just a diff- <laughs> it's, it's a different kind of projectile.
2: That's, it's that's pretty good, actually.
0: And what I found when I did that with
1: Double Barrel was the the decrease in injury. Because everyone moved relatively the same whenever they had an external load on their back or in front of them, whatever they had to do. Yeah. It's when you started taking away this idea. The ground up approach is when we started seeing injury, mm. because we're not resetting the system and how to move when they come into the gym. So it's like you just move like shit throughout your day yeah. because you're stressed at work, sitting on a fucking, sitting behind a table, whatever you were doing. Bad posture, bad position. My goal as the owner of the facility was to go ahead and reset how you move so that when you come to me, we don't re- we don't injure you. Mm. And that ground-up approach was the steps that I've taken, and it's something I still use to this very day in an individual setting because it does make an impact long-term Yeah. because we slow the athlete down, we show them different parts of their body. Now with the idea of creating tension and contracting, I can now add that into the ground-up approach because that's something that I realized I was missing. And it's it's, it's eye-opening, right? Yeah.
2: I, that's I, On that note, like, I think all of this stuff should be eye-opening. And if your eyes aren't like, if you're not profoundly, I don't know, inspired by discovery, like when you're in the gym or you're doing anything that takes a kind of like some learning and expression and I fucking will hate the term, but mastery, some kind of verb that allows you to experience something, um, then you really should question why you're doing it. Like it just becomes masturbation at some point. and that, that's yeah, I've, I've hated no offense, but like strength athletes for the longest time because it doesn't seem to me like they're having an experience that is enlightening at all. There, that's not true. There are some people that do that, but it, it, like the culture in general is broody and put a hood on and like go in your basement and act real tough. And post your numbers when they're good, but not when you're like trying to get good. Um, and that's no offense pers- taken, by the way. And th- that's your persona. And, and like yeah. that persona is unuseful. That mask that you wear is totally irrelevant. You may be able to move a lot of weight. It does not mean that you are strong. And so when we we set out to write, and I wanted to start at, at the ground up. I wanted to start at what I think the basic for all things are, which is the ability to contract. Mm-hmm. Um, we made the strength manual and the idea was like, I want to get away from that culture. Yeah. That idea that I just get under and work hard, bro. I just fucking, I do 110% every day. 110% one rep max. <laughs> 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 it, because that, that doesn't, it's unuseful to most yeah. people. And most people that want to get strong are either, uh, they're either like, um, I don't know, they're put off by that persona or they're attracted to it and both are problematic. Like both are unuseful if i'm like yeah i want to be fucking tough i want to fucking smash weights all day lift heavy weights you're you're gonna go down that road and you're not gonna learn very much and you're gonna get hurt and then you're gonna be pissed because you're a fat you know used to be strong kind of guy and if you're repulsed by it you're gonna go the opposite way and you're gonna say, "Oh, that's not for me. I don't like strong guys. Like it's not, it's not cool to lift weights. It's yeah. not cool to be able to express strength and grunt and yell and do whatever." And you're gonna go be a soft, not strong guy, as opposed to a <laughs> used to be strong guy. Used to be. And so there's this, like that. That's how we wrote the manual for strength was kind of in that light. And then obviously we needed to know where to start. And this is where it was, <laughs> where I'm terrible. Like where I have no idea where to start with yeah. this thing. I can just start writing words, but that didn't help. And so me and Keegan sat down and it was just like, well, let's just have a conversation about it and see where it goes.
0: And that's kind of how we started. Yeah. And I was, I was talking, I think I was talking to George about it the other day. I'm actually, if there's any reason I'm happy, I moved back to Massachusetts for a while is I don't know if we would have came to the same conclusion we did if we didn't have that space between us and we were here together all the time and we're like, we need to do this. Like let's hammer it out in three days because like I came for the symposium in September. We chatted, and we were like, we got it.
2: <laughs> we totally thought we'd have it chat right? in a couple oh. of days.
0: <laughs> and like I wrote out a bunch of stuff. Year you later. wrote out a bunch of stuff. You kind of put it together in InDesign. We both looked it over. We're like, this looks pretty good. And then a month went by, and we didn't do anything with it. And then another month went by, and we didn't do anything with it. And then I moved back out here. And I think it was like the second day I was here or something. We, you were like, I think we're doing it wrong. And you explained your idea that you had that night. And I was like, you're totally right. But it really was like... it, Because we weren't attached to anything. There was no like, this is what got me to a 500-pound bench. This is what got me to a 600-pound deadlift. Or this is what got me to a 300-pound snatch. Like We yeah. had no ties to a number or to a performance. We were like, what, what actually Matters. do we see work? Mm.
1: That was... When you had me read it before you guys published it, mm. that was... That was what I realized in that in that manual was the fact that there was no attachment to a specific thing. Mm-hmm. It was, hey, let me go ahead and teach you something so that you can carry this over into your own training. Mm-hmm. But it was a very simple approach. And it, again, I've had people reach out to me from the Softly community being like, yo, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is it? And I was like... You have to find your own words for it. You all all ignore that. Continue to pay me for programming. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. It, it, it's like it, it was this. Buy the book and read it, mm. and then let's have a conversation afterwards. Yeah. And that was it. And that's it. Because, again, with what you guys put out in that book or in the manual, mm-hmm. right, is, is, is a very different approach. You have to come in with an open mindset because of how you do look at strength. Because we don't look at strength as a number on our barbell no more. No. At
0: all. No. In fact... I was going to say, well, the three of us don't. Well,
2: yeah, yeah. But but really, that's... I mean, first of all, we're defining strength differently. Yes. And this is the big... This is my big revelation while writing it was that something felt off. Yeah. When you see somebody squat a lot of weight, you're like, that guy is strong. And that just doesn't seem right to me yeah. because every definition of strength is actually to hold, to stay still. Like a fortress is strong because it holds. It's resilient. And that's when, I mean, even when we, before this, we were talking about, you know, why we train strength. We we train strength for uh, the psychological advantages that it gives you. And one of those is, is resilience, yes. like the ability to overcome something um, by holding. And so, although yeah that's an ex- like you need to be strong. What we're describing, the action part is actually power. Mm-hmm. So when you see somebody move, man, that guy's powerful. When you see somebody hold, man, that guy's strong. And that's that's the slight you know, that definition kind of changed the way how we looked at programming for it too, because that was that was eye opening. Yeah, if we want to get strong with the back squat, why like if my legs can move the weight, that's fine. That means they're powerful enough to squat. What I'm generally breaking down is like, man, my spine can't hold its position. Therefore, I'm pancaking or folding or I'm losing it. Therefore, you know how to fix things once you know that they're broken. And if your spine isn't holding the position, work on holding the position. Position. Don't work on loading the legs. So we came up with kind of clever ways on how to, um, and that's kind of the program is like, here's a few different ways to approach different obstacles that you have. Um, dealing with holding, um, I don't know that it it kind of changed. I know Keegan mentioned this because the day after we kind of had this revelation, and I was like, okay, I guess I have to rewrite some shit. <laughs> and then I went back, and we it wasn't too hard because it was all there. I just hadn't encompassed
1: it correctly. You didn't, yeah, it wasn't the right direction for the.
2: Yeah, book exactly. Yet. Like I just hadn't, I hadn't, you know, plugged it in. Uh, but it was – and then once it plugged in, it was like, man, this is really easy to understand. It's really easy to put out there. And I honestly
1: don't think that there's anything quite like it. There's nothing like it. That cause Every strength book that is mm. out there goes back to what Keegan said. Mm. It's attached to yeah. this is what I, did. I did.
2: Small law. Of, yeah.
1: yeah, we use the juggernaut method, right? Yeah, yeah. Chad Wesley Smith. I use this on myself and other athletes to produce this outcome. Yeah. But it's like that worked for them. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take it a step further and find out, yes, where are you breaking position in a squat, deadlift, or a snatch? Mm -hmm. And let's go ahead and focus on strengthening that that small position spine structure, right, under a heavy load in a back squat. Does your back break when you're coming out of the hole? Because if it is, we need to fix that. And that's the difference with this book is that approach is there's no attachments to saying, hey, this is how you do it to get better. Mm -hmm you guys applied multiple tools for the individual to go ahead and look at it and being like, oh, I can do multiple different things with different objects or not an object to express my strength to improve that back squat.
2: Yeah. And I, I think this has been known for, I mean, it's, it's subconsciously known with really good strength coaches. Like under the Bulgarian method, when you work up to a max, a miss is something that's sticky, mm-hmm. right? Like, a front squat that comes out that pauses and shakes a little bit, that's considered a miss. So they back off of there. And what they're actually attributing to that is like, you didn't hold your position. There's no need to load on top of that. And that's kind of the one, like, take, that's the one generic principle that I think works for strength training is like, okay, you're going to back squat. How heavy can you back squat? You can he- go up heavy until you can't hold the spine position and you know where to work. That it just illuminates what, what to do. And you also have to know, you know, then this is subjective is why are you trying to get that better? What yeah. is it going to cost you? Uh, because although, and in, in this is tough because we think of strength sports as lifting things and uh, throwing things. And I don't think that's true because you still need something to push against. And this is the other principle that is there yeah. is that it is much more complex to contract without something to contract against. So a gymnast that can hold his body in a position in time and space and articulate it with a contraction rate without the use of an implement is actually a far more superior contraction because, and this is another thing that I hate about um, the fitness industry is like when you get hurt, they're like, uh, your technique is terrible. That's the only reason to get hurt. And I'm like, that's not true at all. Like <laughs> every time I've gotten hurt on a squat, my squat looks fucking perfect. I yeah. don't care who you are. You can't, you can't really find something wrong with my squat, at least as it pertains to how I do it. Um, position's good. Depth is good. Spine position is perfect. I get hurt because I over contract because I'm not a strong person, which I don't have. Now I define it as an
1: inability to contract correctly. or hold through a position yeah. position, uh, Through range of motion.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I can hold the spine in a position, but that's through over contraction. So anybody that's uh, experienced over contraction will cramp immediately and like their muscle can't let go. It's because the neurons aren't sensitive to, or or they're too sensitive to that contraction rate. Once you get above 90 or so percent of what you're used to now, you're in danger of over contracting the muscle, which could lead to some pulls, tears, stuff like that. Um, But the idea is to push that 90% up so now that I can contract against things, now how do I apply strength without the abstraction, without the weight on my back? Can I hold my spine position? And you'll see that in real sports, like that becomes more important, yeah. right? So for sprinting, my spine position is very important. For jiu-jitsu, my spine position is very important. And Football player's spine position is exactly. fucking- yeah, Detrimental. Yeah. Like If you have the wrong position, your career's over. Done.
3: Yeah.
0: I was just thinking back to, I guess it was a year and a half ago when I moved here and, you know, we kind of trimmed the fat, if you will, and started opening up the space on our own. And you were talking about getting weights in here that didn't have numbers on them. (laughs) And at the time, I thought it was absurd because I was like, how do you know how much you're lifting? Like, how do you know how much stronger you're getting? And now that I feel like strength is more of an expression, it doesn't matter. Like, you have two reds and a yellow. Mm-hmm. i don't know what they weigh right like i mean and we've all used those plates so we know what they mean but like you know when lynn comes in here is like what am i deadlifting?" and you're like i don't know you got a green and a yellow on there like do a green a yellow and a black next time <laughs> i don't know like <laughs> it's it doesn't long matter as position is good yeah, right yeah, if, yeah. And if you can keep holding that for whatever the you know the arbitrary sets reps and you know maybe tempo is like cool keep fucking going because it doesn't matter what's on the bar yeah. to a degree and sure like you know, people are going to be like, but linear progression and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you, you will add load to the bar, but the less you can attach yourself to the number and the more you can focus on the movement, you'll get stronger mm-hmm. and more powerful. It's a, while you're, you're explaining that
1: process, I thought about a good friend of mine, Spencer Arnold, who runs power, oh, yeah. uh, Power power, and Grace Performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has some of the top weightlifters right now in, in, in the United States competing Jordan De La Cruz, mm-hmm. Jessica Bradley, Marcus Harrison. Dude, I cried when I saw Jesse Bradley break
2: a junior national record. I was at her weightlifting me, and I literally, like, there was so much hope on it. Just side note. And no, 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 yeah. She, she made her lift. I think she had bombed the first two. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what happened. But literally, she made it in, like, a single tier. Like, you know, that old commercial. That it brings commercial, you back. That old commercial where somebody litters in the old Indian. Like, <laughs> That was me. Anyway, Jesse Bradley's awesome. Dude,
1: I've <laughs> been I've, I've been fortunate enough to coach in the back with Spencer and, uh-huh. and, and uh, them at a meet and seeing how well they, they, they do work together. Mm-hmm. But what I was going with that is he's become a very velocity-based training approach with his athletes. Mm-hmm. He uses a peak four weeks out, and he goes by that. And what it brought me to was is and maybe he doesn't know it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have to sit there and ask him but this velocity based training we're looking at all right what's the bar speed on the bar talking about the, bulk, yeah. the Bulgarian method hey your heavy 1RM if it's, it's sticky and you slow down coming out of the hole yeah. that's a miss or hey you're done for the day
3: mm-hmm.
1: what i've seen with a lot of the stuff he's been doing the articles he's posted he's focusing on below the threshold number that doesn't create that problem which now ends up promoting that that strength to hold position longer mm-hmm. right that develops speed right and then develops the power to come out of the squat right. or come out of the clean or the snatch is the way I look at that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that <laughs> it makes you think now, right? It's like, wow, wait a minute. What if what if that's all that, that style of training is? Is just teaching the athlete to hold position better mm-hmm. at lower weights so that when it is time to put heavier weights on the bar, that's a transferable skill right away.
2: Right, but when you see, I mean, I see this in probably athletes that have a very limited potential yeah um i guess i was gonna call them idiots but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's not accurate they're very smart they just have limited potential because they get in their own way when they lift with just the empty barbell they don't lift it the same and when they like are under 70 percent they don't respect that weight because it's too easy yeah in which case they'll never respect heavyweight because it'll just suffocate them. You need to be able to apply what you're doing with less than and move perfectly in order to express it later. And I think the best weightlifters you see, like Maddie uh, Rogers, you know, it's like she expresses it perfectly on an empty barbell. Like her visualization of how it should go for heavyweights is the same. Her her reps look identical mm-hmm. when they're lower, and that's that's why. She's fun to watch. She moves like perfectly, and now you're just watching her express that against varying weights, mm-hmm. and whether she can overcome that stress, the the mental pressure of going on stage or missing one and coming back and and lifting it. That's uh, maybe that's the 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 cool thing about weightlifting because at the top level, you're seeing somebody express something perfectly
1: that way, and especially now that she's with Amy Everett yep. over there with yeah, those Amy's guys, awesome. she's awesome. Yeah. We've changed, she's now changed the approach for Maddie, it seems Mm -hmm. like. Maddie no longer looks at just heavy loads as the way I need to get through. And nothing against Danny Camargo. Danny Mm Camargo is a great weightlifting coach as well. But it's just a different style of coaching. Yeah. yeah. Right? And how we approach that.
2: That, and like people look at this because we're all coaches in here. We all coach other people. And I think it's worth admitting that you can take somebody to a certain place. Yep. And then it might, even if you could have taken them somewhere else, the messenger matters. Even if you know what they need to do, sometimes you're not the person, you're not the vehicle for them to make it to the next place.
0: So George and I have actually had this yeah. uh, experience because George now coaches one of my athletes Yeah, because she came to me and she, George had helped her at lot last year. And she came to me and was like, Hey, I was talking to George and like before she could finish, I was like, go do it. Like we've run our course. You need something different. Mm -hmm. George is much different than I am when it comes to coaching, communicating, all of that stuff. And it was like, I got you here, but if you want to keep going, you need something different. Yeah. And it was like, I don't like Yeah. You I I don't do it like none of us in here do it for the money. Like no. No, Half of us in here haven't gotten a paycheck in fucking six months (laughs) or a year, right? So it's It's not about that, and it's about being able to recognize, like, oh, like, this this relationship in this way is coming to an end. Yeah, I can either hang on to my ego and my paycheck in the bottom line and be the guy that's like, I don't lose clients. Like, everybody yeah. stays with me. But at some point, like, that becomes toxic, and I don't want to coach people that don't think they should be coached by me, and I don't think I should coach people that I don't want to coach. Yeah. So it's like, all right, hey, this fits, like – Go to George. Like, that's fucking perfect. And, like, he struggled with it a little bit. I did. I'm not going to lie to you. Because he was messaging me and calling me. And he was like, you sure? And I'm like, dude, I'm totally on board. Like, go do your thing. Like, I trust you. I respect what you do. It seems like a good fit. Like, just do it.
2: But it's unheard of in the industry because people are so desperate to have clients and to feel validation, like, I got this person there. But if you're really devoted to somebody, like, if you truly want somebody to excel, you won't give a shit who gets them to excel. And you'll accept that maybe you're not the one for that, even if you know all the stuff. You have to... It's not saying that it's not a knowledge thing or a lack of. It's just the messenger matters. Yeah. I was like, I've seen plenty of people... like, I've coached Aaron quite a bit, but I've seen plenty of people make her do things that I was unable to do. And I never get mad at it. It's like, it's like, it's all, because I benefit. I get to see somebody excel because of their expertise or the way that they talk to her, or even if they're saying the same thing yep. that I was saying, it's through a channel where her ears are open to it. So she's more likely to make the changes that she needs.
1: Yeah. And it, it goes to the opposite way, too. And we talked about this last night seeing an athlete who, thinks they know what they need, go to another coach and then completely break. Mm -hmm. And being
0: like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. You know? I I guess I kind of feel like if... How do I want to word this? If you say that all you care about is like the athletes excelling, Mm -hmm. but then you're unwilling to let go of that, uh, it's because you're attached to seeing yourself excel. Yeah. Yeah,
2: for sure. It's selfishness. you you see,
0: like you project your ego... Your persona, your business, whatever you want to call it, onto those people. So when you go to the 100%. games, or <laughs> wadapalooza or you know much. any of the sanctionals, and you see them on the stage in your shirts and doing the thing in your apparel and repping your brand, it's not that you give a shit that they do good for them. You want them to do good for you, and that's a shitty fucking coach.
2: Uh for sure is like yeah. Uh, you know. If you if you had an athlete that and, and I think you've had this where you've had an athlete that moves and they want to pick up a different sport or whatever, but they still stay in touch with you because they want to let you know how it's going because yep. you were invested in their progress, right? And to in maybe you'll balance, and and you've just become an asset to them, yeah, right? Even though you're not programming the thing or getting them to do the thing, yeah, they want hey I'm doing this I'm feel hey I'm been told to do this what do you think about competing in this or now how should I handle this. You're o- once you're a coach, you're always an advisor of sorts. Yeah. That
1: never really goes away. That happened to me just recently, two weeks ago. I had a, an athlete who I used to coach mm-hmm. university nationals, made it to nationals. He got a scholarship to go compete it in college. Mm-hmm. So he we came off programming and he reached out and he's like, hey man, he's like, I haven't had the fire drive since we've worked together with the team I'm with right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what's up? And it, come ta- it came down to one, programming is always the same to the environment. Everyone in there is in this negative mindset because of the fact that the programming is always the same. Mm -hmm. They're not really able to hype themselves up. It's a very old school feel. And what I came down to was like, do you have control over your warmups? Do you have control how you can do things? He was like, yeah. I was like, so take control of them. Mm -hmm. Don't let no one else bother you with it. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, cool. I'm lifting up to because we have the universities coming up here in a week. Yeah. Yeah. And he just got done doing his like peak or whatever else and I was like hey man go back to some of the stuff we used to do in the past don't load a heavy barbell on there do all your warm up stuff I was like prior to that repetitions in your head Mm -hmm. needs to be the same way you approach the bar every single time I was like bring your own inner fire you don't need no one else around Mm -hmm. here come to find out he comes, he's like, hits me up. He's like, dude, I crushed my openers and ready to fucking rock and roll. Yeah. And again, it was only the devising aspect being like, hey, let me go and take a look at your environment because I know how you operate, offer some kind of solution. You go and provide action and look what just happened.
2: And knowing you, you probably took a picture of him and put him on Instagram, and took credit for everything, right?
0: Yep. Cool. And you're going to use his name and let everybody know who it is. So when he does good, you Correct. get the credit. Yeah. Okay. I want to go back to Maddie real quick because yeah. um, I saw the same thing with Alex. It was kind of like, you know, they could use an empty barbell as a parameter for how they're moving and how they feel, mm-hmm. where people just kind of go through the motions. Mm-hmm. And I think what people miss is that it's all a practice. Yeah. And I remember when I, I don't know, I was probably like 12 or 13, I went to a basketball camp and one of the guys there was a coach that all he did was work on shooting with like the most elite level basketball players, like in the NBA. And this dude, to explain to us how your shot shouldn't change, and no matter where you are in the court, it should always look and feel similar, Mm -hmm. he started shooting from like a foot away from the hoop, and he would take one step back, and one step back, and one step back, Mm. and he was shooting from fucking half court. Same way. And it never looked any different. Crazy. And you're just like, oh, that... Like that to me, is that mastery? I was going to say that to me would be mastery. I didn't know that at the time, and I have not thought about that till right now. But, like, I was in awe of, like, because you could tell, like, practice after practice, repetition after repetition. We had this today because I had my privates with James
2: uh, in jujitsu, and Sam came with me to be my dummy. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And, um, we kind of got stuck because we're doing some open guard stuff and I I just get kind of obsessed with open guard because I think it's the most frustrating position because you have to engage. And so you're the one who has to engage. And so you're trying to set things up and they're trying to set things up. So you get, there's so many traps it's like infinite. And so for some reason we got caught in cause we're doing some sweeps and then you end up kind of an open guard in this knee, knee cut. And, uh, The principle was really interesting because we finally got to the point where we're like, okay, if this happens, this happens. If this happens, this happens. And then if this happens, you do this. And then from those positions, two other options. So it becomes pretty complex pretty quickly. Like three moves and you have basically 18 things to practice. (laughs) Um, And so after a half an hour, just like these are the basic things, James is like, okay, don't train, practice. And he said this very, very specifically. Because he saw the inclination for Sam and me to give too much pressure, and he goes literally like, think about it like you're learning a line dance. Like you go, step, step, move, step, step, move, and then you go step, step, move, and then you start. But but there's no pressure yet. You're just get your foot position right, get the you know the changeover, the switch, and then he was right. Like after a half an hour of drilling it. Like, those three positions are very good. And I mean very good for somebody who just learned them. Um, but they were ingrained into
1: you for a long term.
2: Yeah. They're, they're like, they're in my head and I can't stop even because I, you know, I wasn't training. I was actually practicing what I was supposed to do. Um, and then it was like, Sam got them so well that I gave him a little pressure. It worked anyway. He gave me a little bit of pressure. worked anyway. We started training. We could both do it on each other. That's awesome. Now that'll fade and it'll come back as we practice more and more. But the idea was that you slow everything down so that the practice look so the movement looks perfect, and now you can add speed to it. Yeah. But until then.
1: I, I got I rolled with you guys mm-hmm. and, and I do bring a little bit more intensity than I and I, I realize sometimes. I know sure. that. One thing that I did learn when I was training over at 10th Planet Oceanside mm-hmm. was it doesn't work. <laughs> not just that was the, the aspect of slowing down. Mm-hmm. They were really big on that. And, and because, f- uh, what's his name? The owner of Eddie? No, oh, Frankie, sorry. uh, Frank, uh, they call him the freak, mm. but he's a big time. His background is a big, ba- break dancer. Oh, okay. Big time break dancer. I mean, that's what he did. Yeah. And when he brings his coaching into the practice of jujitsu with no gi, mm-hmm. that's was what it was. It was like, Hey, we're not going to get after it. This is a goal, a time to practice and flow through everything mm-hmm. at a very slow speed, and there's no pressure behind it. And that's something that I've... Hearing you talk about it, too, is that is, is that a normal thing in jiu-jitsu, right? Let's slow down, or is it always just train? It depends on where you go. Like I, It depends on
2: the background, too. I've been to gyms um, that are very wrestling-based, and they're very like shuck and drive right from the go, because wrestling is athletically based it is powerful because it's speed like speed kills in that uh, not that technique doesn't but it's rare for you to see wrestlers slow everything down and work methodically granted there are those that do it um but i've been to jujitsu jitsu gyms too where they think that speed kills like just be fast just be first um but in general the like uh, i think it's a general rule in jiu-jitsu gyms where everything just goes they turn the volume down on everything cool. and they analyze every little thing where your where your toes are pointing so you know where your knee is where your body position is if your head is up or down whether your chest is in or out and they really try to like it, because it it's done in retrospect yeah. like all the guys that are the best at this they get good at it, and then they learn how to actually teach it. So you're missing a lot of these things. When somebody shows you something, yep. you're missing the nuance. I think somebody who's really good at jujitsu they can feel exactly what that person's input is, and then they can do the technique based off of the input. Somebody who's bad at jujitsu can literally know all the same moves, but they can't feel any feedback. So they can't feel
0: the timing part. So you'll, you'll have to come with us someday. I went with Michael like two weeks ago for his private and he's been talking about this Johnny dude at nauseum for a fucking year and a half. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Jesus Christ, let's go meet this fucking Johnny dude. <laughs> I didn't even shake his hand yet and I was like, this is some dude that I need to learn from. You like just you it. could tell by the way he carried himself. And then he started talking and like I'd watch him show Michael something and then Michael try it. And coming to the point that you just made about like actually learning it if you understand the positions and I think this goes for any sport, like if, if you really at like a base level understand and are intimate with the positions, then you can recognize somebody else doing it to you because you understand what it feels like. Mm -hmm. But if all you do is effort and intensity and explosiveness, then all you feel is effort and intensity and explosiveness. And that doesn't teach you where to go when somebody's trying to do something. It, it leads me to this. this the,
1: the amygdala? I'm saying that all fucked up. And the hippocampus. Yeah. What happens is when we don't practice, those overtake the frontal lobe, which now shuts down any learning or rewiring of the brain to an extent. Right? Because we're talking between training and practicing. Training, you're going to go ahead and put forth a certain effort over eighty to ninety percent, most times. Yeah. Right. What ends up happening from their lizard brain kicks in, mm-hmm. the prefrontal cortex shuts down. Right. We now go into this at into this idea, and I think we've been like we go back to the 2014, 2012 idea where all it is is high intensity work, is where we see those two pieces of the brain are overdeveloped, and yeah. the prefrontal cortex now is small. Now, by slowing down and reteaching someone how to practice, we have now shut down those two parts of the brain. Prefrontal cortex now is open. Mm. Now we can do the rewiring. And that is actually something I've relearned through the ground-up approach, Yeah, right? Is okay, cool, let's go ahead and reopen you in the right way so that you can move properly to where it does ingrain a new movement pattern. It does promote a healthy well-being in how you approach something.
2: Yeah, I have a tough time. I'm not sure about that specifically. Um, I haven't learned... That. I think I know what you're talking about. There are points where... I know if you have like... If fear is kicking, right? The amygdala will shut down other receptions other in receptions. order for self-preservation. Um, in which case, you're kind of closed down. I'm not going to say closed completely, but you're you're closed down to anything else other than survival. Yep. Um, so if somebody has a fear of jumping or whatever that... that you kind of have to trick them into that. So I'm not quite sure of that. I go back and forth on a little bit simpler premise of uh, I'm going to tell them logically what I do and then I'm going to have them feel it and then I'm going to logically explain or have them explain to me what they feel. And those three things should line up perfectly and when they don't, I'll know. Oh, we're too far above that threshold. Yeah, yeah, it's just feel, think, feel, think, feel, think. And if you can't... Um, if you can't feel it, you for sure can't think about it. So you kind of like, oh, this is what a squat feels like. Tell, and like pause, where are your hips at? Like in relation to time and space, tell me logically where they're at. Give me a position. Are they above your knee line or are they below your knee line? Yeah. Some people can't feel that. Where's your shoulder and your hip in relation to your knee? Is your shoulder over your knee or behind your knee? Or is it symmetrical? In which case, you're pancaked. Can you feel that you're pancaked? So now when you think about it and you feel it, come back up, make your shoulder be back from your knee line and then we'll feel that together. Like I'll go down with you, you see me, now I want you to look like how I feel.
0: Yeah. But how do you do that when you write out a six to eight week progression for the individual (laughs) without ever seeing them? Um, uh, You want me to answer that?
2: (laughs) Well, and this is is a good question because I, I mean, I've been fairly against remote programming in the past, but there are like, know, I will turn someone down if I don't think I can teach them remotely. And I've done it way, way more than I've accepted. I've turned people down for, hey, will you coach me through this? And if it's like, uh, Luke's a good example of that. So I coached Luke starting last year. Um, he wanted to help with diet. I can do that. He wanted to help with um, specific stuff for a selection process. I can help with that. Um, then he was like, man, I really want to get better at the barbell. And I was like, go find somebody Like, it doesn't matter. Find a coach who teaches weightlifting. In person. Go to them and have them analyze you and change you. Because weightlifting doesn't happen online, like through videos. You need technical help, and then I can help you progress it. But And and he did just that. He found a coach up in Seattle. He went and learned a couple sessions from him. He came back. We analyzed it. I gave him some more to add on to it. He went back to the coach. Then he finally came here. I gave him my bit. And Now, you saw last week kind of like... How it's progressed. Yep. So that's like six months of not so intense trying to get after it. Yeah, but he's moving better. He sells a lot of bad habits, but that's just time and exposure.
1: No, it's it, the reason why I brought up the whole mm-hmm. the whole three parts of the brain was because of the the background I have right now with my schooling. Oh yeah, yeah. It is because of the sports psychology background and how yeah. I'm understanding it. But you you literally just put it into words in the most simplest form for me. It's like if I see an athlete and I tell them, hey, go ahead and lower the bar down to above the knee, mm-hmm. and they put the bar below the knee, yeah. that right there, I already understand that, they, oh, they're nowhere in the headspace to yeah. even know what they need to be doing, and we need to reset and slow down again.
2: Yeah, either they don't logically know what above or go, below a means, blo- yep. or they can't feel what below or above means.
1: So those two words, yeah.
2: logically and feel. Yeah, and I, I I I I cross them between intellect and intuition, okay. which is feeling and thinking for yeah. me. Which I have a problem feeling.
0: That's why we're best friends. Yeah, because he feels. I, I have a problem I think. thinking. Right. I have too many feelings. Okay, <laughs> 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 that's great. George coming. hasn't figured out how to separate the two. I'm learning.
2: <laughs> I mean, I and I overanalyze everything. And I said this to a guy that was just introduced today. We had a phenomenal discussion about jujitsu, talking over the phone. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to collaborate with some stuff, but he was talking about how much he cares more about the process of thinking than commerce. Huh. And I was like, I totally agree. Why aren't we actually compensated for overthinking as opposed to overselling? Hmm. And that, like, I do think overthinking is a tool. It can, it's a trap too, especially for people like me that overanalyze, overanalyze, and then now I'm lost. Because we usually say um, complication is suffocation. Um, if you're not prepared for it. Yeah. And I say, like, I don't like to spend, send people down holes because I get lost in them sometimes, uh, but I've had to learn to draw back to the think. Think about what you're doing because I need to learn how to feel what I'm doing. And that's kind of what body flow, to bring us kind of yeah. back around, is like, that's really helped me because there are no instructions for that. Like it's only all, feeling. All rules are broken in in the way we teach it, which is there is no such thing as a bad position. There's yeah. just bad preparation of the tissues. So I can like, what's bad? Is my heel lifted? Is my knee over the toe? Is my hip or is my spine bent the wrong way? Event all of those are yes. You will be in a physiologically compromised position. Quotes um, that a physiologist would be like, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. But we know people can do it. So therefore, what's right and what's wrong? Yeah. Um, there's there's no answer. You could potentially get very hurt from it. But I have to feel whether I'm going to get hurt, not think about whether I'm going to get hurt. I have to go. oh, man, when we started developing the crane walk, I I almost broke my fucking ankle the first time I did it because it was way too much pressure and just had unprepared tissues. Tissues, yeah. And so I slow, I backed off after almost rolling it really badly, and I was like, okay, it's safe. Um, and then I just try. Okay, how can I f- how can I get better at this one thing? How can I make this part of my body stronger? So it became a challenge. And then eventually I could link them together. And before long, I could do 10 of them in a row or whatever. Yeah. Now it's not a problem, but I had to like back off, go back, feel what it
1: was that needed to be changed and then change it. Yeah, one thing you said this weekend was the transition is the most important part. Mm. The transition through each movement is where we can probably see ourselves getting hurt the most because of the lack of... Contraction throughout that through that transition.
2: Yeah, that's based on a theory that I'm developing way ahead of where I should be as a blue belt. <laughs> <laughs>
1: in
0: in life or jujitsu, don't in j- we always
2: do that shit? <laughs> I, I do, but I'm trying to conceptualize like how to help me learn jujitsu, and if I can get a roadmap where people like things belong. So generally, people like they get ahead of themselves in the fact that they want finishing moves. Yeah. I learned a long time ago, finishing moves are totally irrelevant. They, they just don't matter. Yeah. They do if you're going to like win a tournament or something. But if I'm so focused on the finishing move, I miss all the other things. So I've backed away and I've built this model for myself. Maybe it'll help somebody else, but I think it's applicable to physicality in general. So there is position, mm-hmm. right? Position is held with pressure. That's contraction. That's what we consider. Now, this could be you versus you, you versus an object, or you versus another person. Those are all kind of the same thing. But in order to hold my position, I need pressure. So I need leverage. I need advantage. Those are my tools. If I have equal pressure back or overcoming pressure back input um, against my output, I need to transition. Yeah. It means my position is, is compromised and I need to move. In jiu this goes, you know, I, I have side control. I'm holding somebody with chest pressure. They use their elbow on my hip and their elbow in my throat to pop up my posture. Now I have equal pressure because I can't drive down. They're creating space, so I no longer actually have the position. But yeah. if I know that, I can transition to another position before they can. It means I still have the advantage. Yep. Um, So we have that. You can use uh, pressure from position to transition to another position, or you can use time. Hmm. Now there's time, and then there's time within time called timing. So that's everything is on a cycle, right? Everything is on a beat. There's a rhythm like we first talked about. Yeah, go back to the rhythm. There's a rhythm happening. Even if my pressure is solid and I'm holding, there's pulses of him checking. He's trying to upa. He's trying to hip. He's trying to escape somehow. He may not know it, but he has... Maybe it's erratic, but he does have a rhythm. And so if I know he has pressure and he's pushing, but he can't hold... He can't just push indefinitely because I'll grab an arm and I'll go with yeah. it. So he's pushing, he's testing, he's testing my hip here and there. He's trying to find the weaknesses of my position. But he's setting a rhythm for me. Yeah. So he pushes, let's go, pushes, let go, pushes. I take that and then I move and I transition. So I use position, I use pressure, and I use time to advance my position.
1: I like to go back to the word feel. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> you're able to feel all of that to be able to understand logically how to connect everything to flow through that transition on the big on the
2: larger scale i am numb in jiu-jitsu okay i'm learning to feel what i think expertise is is being sensitive oh. i think expertise is sensitivity right hmm. like nuance it's like if you see so do you know anything about sushi
1: a little bit not okay much.
2: so the if you go to a place and they fry it, that's not what I'm talking about. No, no, no. <laughs> so there's sashimi, which there's expertise in the thickness of the slices of the fish give it the flavor, right? And there's expertise in how they, how they move the fish into the temperature that it's at. But in nigiri, where they put a piece of sashimi over rice, yep. there's a certain amount of rice that goes with a certain amount of fish. Oh. This is done by feel. So in a traditional, I might have this number wrong, Uh, But from when I learned it, this is a while ago, there's 72 grains of rice in one nigiri. You have to be able to feel 72 grains of rice. They don't count them out individually? They do. (laughs) Oh, wow. If you're testing. So somebody who is a master at sushi can feel 72 grains of rice and they can feel the perfect thickness and temperature of fish before they prepare it and give it to you. That's the kind of sensitivity an expert has. Just like when you watch somebody with a barbell who's an expert, they know that the barbell is an eighth inch off the thigh at all times when it's past the second position into the hip, right? That's a sensitivity. And in jujitsu, it's the same thing. It's like they can feel where that person's spine is without looking because of the... like. If I close my eyes, I can't do it as well as somebody like James or Johnny. But if I close my eyes and I'm riding somebody's belly with my knee, like, you know, I can feel now when their spine turns a quarter towards me because I can feel the weight shift and I can feel their shoulder rise up and which means my shin is like a, you know, 35 degree angle or something. So I know that they're actually going to escape. As soon as I feel them touch my knee, I need to transition because they're going to have leverage because I can feel them gaining power. Yeah. And so I, I try to think about every subject, you'll just be more sensitive. And so in writing, your sensitivity is to how powerful the words are, not just bah 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 ba. You feel the flow of a paragraph. So I start it with a short sentence. I um illuminate it with a slightly longer sentence and then I crescendo it with a long sentence and then I punctuate it with a short sentence that's a paragraph structure that allows somebody to be sensitive to the words that matter
3: hmm
1: talk about overthinking it's it makes sense though <laughs> it, it makes sense though like we talked about yesterday we missed a snatch overhead and I was like oh that was out forward yeah but that's a sensitivity to from
0: doing a specific skill for a long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Fucking love it. Yeah. I was just thinking about how we're so attached now to seeing things cuz mm-hmm. Instagram, TV, like everything sight driven, somewhat sound, but like we forget we have all these other senses that we just don't fucking use anymore. Maybe to their I don't know, utmost ability or heightened ability like we are losing connection with feeling things or touch,
2: and and I think like all senses, and this is a deeper kind of like, I don't know what you call it. It's a different level of thinking. But I, if you realize that all of your senses are potentially wrong, hmm. it'll change how you view reality. Yeah. So, as an example, is a a good thing a thought experiment that I like. Imagine you know this gym in here. It's like you know, 4,000 square feet, 20-foot walls, maybe, let's say, 50-foot between, so 50 by 50, 20-foot ceiling. There's no windows. Let's say it's completely blacked out. You're stuck in there, right? You, in that black box. How long before you become sensitive to the world around you, right? I know what we're doing after this. It wouldn't take long until I can hear the traffic on the bridge. That gives me a sense of, like, lateral movement, And then maybe a bird flies over, and I know that there's a roof. And I know based off of the echo of things or somebody walking outside of it, a crunch of the snow, something like that, I start to build a world without any input. Me in the dark, I will build what I view the world as outside based on echolocation or sound or ricochet or whatever. That's just how we're wired. People that go blind develop this naturally, Uh, echolocation and other ways to perceive the world. It doesn't make it correct. It makes it like, I just realized that I'm, my reality is a representation of sound hitting the wall or the yep. box that I'm in, right? Yeah, exactly. You become really sensitive to it yeah. because you have to, because there's- Sound when, waves. Yeah, you need some kind of reality to build a structure in order to experience your world. Now realize that that actually is you and that your brain is in a black box, and all of this is just interpretation of the external world. <laughs>
1: So you're going to laugh at me. I think it was a year and a half ago. Or I was doing a, I was playing around with some sleep study stuff and sleep fucking shit oh, nice. um, with paliphasic sleep cycles. Ooh. So 90-minute sleep cycles, don't believe in eight hours, but yep. the power of that, fucking way over the fucking board with it. Mm. But it led me into a TED Talk, and I forgot the individual who it was, but it was a blind individual who uses sound waves mm. to actually walk around mm-hmm. and understand his area. And he can, like, ride a bike. And, and share, he can ride yeah, his bike yeah. and stuff. And I was like, man, what if I just fucking for three hours, yeah, for three hours a day, just close my eyes and do that and see how well I can go ahead. And I was literally going to walk down this path for a month. I have a better one for you. Let's hear it. Um,
2: This will probably, everybody will understand me immediately. We're going to take seven grams of mushrooms and blindfold each other and sit in a room. Let's
1: do it. <laughs> <laughs> because
2: synesthesia is a byproduct. And so, it like eventually you'll create your world around you
0: yeah <laughs> i I'm <in>. I'm do- <laughs> it, let's do it why not yeah. so
2: I, yeah there, there's this and i think about that all the time like my hearing is not good like my my auditory learning is really removed
1: i'm generally a feel but it gives to, you but it gives you rhythm yes that's the thing though yeah, right yeah, like yeah. it gives you rhythm so mm-hmm. how can you say it's not good
2: well because it's not sensitive Right, like it's not as sensitive as other things, so I want to develop
1: it more. The whole multi-intelligence thing we were talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want like finer touch and finer taste and better sight and all of these things I think are really important. It's just like how much time do you have yeah. and will, will it be helpful? Like if I hear better, I think it'll be helpful. Uh, mostly because I'll listen better, yep. which means I have the potential to learn more. Yep. But right now it's like, la-da-da-da-da, da, 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 people say, and then maybe a word catches. I'm like, what did you say? Because I didn't hear 90% of it. And just like when I'm in jujitsu, they're saying 100% of things, and I'm getting 10% of it. If that, if I'm like lucky, if you're lucky, I'll retain 10% of it. And so that's why after a year, the third time they teach something, it comes around, now I understand 30% of it because I've seen it three times. So each time they gave me 100%, they've given me 300%, I understand. And you take 30%. I take 30%. And now I can actually do it a little bit. I go, oh, this move makes sense. After a year. After, after, yeah, multiple exposures (laughs) and multiple years, I got a a percentage of that. And that's, uh, somebody explained that it really helped me um, calm down with jujitsu because they explained you know, it's not going to make any sense for a really long time. It's like walking in in the middle of a movie. And yeah. in fact, like, like, just use that. I think it was Josh Tyler who told me this. He's like, look, each move that they show you is like a still. Someone took a snapshot, right? And you you put enough of these moves together, and you have a couple snapshots, and then you'll come another day, and it's a totally different snapshot. When you start to be good at jujitsu is when you can put a scene together. Hmm. It's a great analogy. That was fucking roll amazing. This, and when you master it, you have a movie that make the story arc is known Fuck. because you know the beginning and you know how it'll end. So you control the story because you have so many snapshots to choose from. Fuck.
1: Way to go, Josh. <laughs> Good job, Josh. <laughs> yeah, my hats off to you. Well, where can these uh, where can people get a hold of you or find the strength manual and every other thing you guys do? Um, you can find the
2: strength manual on nonprofit that's with the p h n o n p r o p h e t like profit in the desert dot media um everything our symposiums all our products our books or stuff are available on there um and then Keegan has some writing on the site we have tons of free writing tons of articles there's a journal but there's also a space where we write little blurbs about thoughts that we have tons of pictures there's actually a couple of videos now and then Keegan, your,
0: yeah, I mean, so you can find me on Instagram. It's Keegan Dillon, uh, K E G A N. My parents blessed me with only putting one E in there, so most people, yeah, most people spell it wrong. But uh, uh, hit me up in the DMs if you want. Yeah, I'm going to DM you
2: a cock picture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I do remote coaching. Um, I don't necessarily promote it. It's kind of a word of mouth thing. Um, You know, going back to what we talked about, if it fits, cool. If it doesn't, I'm not attached to a specific number of clients or who they are or what they're doing. It's kind of irrelevant to me. If you're into a different way of thinking and you're open
1: to... My sales pitch sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Come to me or not. I don't give a shit.
1: But if you're into a different way of thinking and you want something different, buy this book. Because I I feel that if you're not open to it, you're not going to receive it right way of what you guys are putting out. Yeah, I appreciate that. So... Awesome. Well, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thanks, George. Our second time. You guys are on it Fuck, a yeah. fucking year and a half ago. So.
2: so, Is that how long ago it was? Yeah. Something like
0: that, yeah. October I still 2018. Lived out here. No, no shit. shit. Yeah. I keep forgetting that I actually like wasn't here for a year. I'm like, last year when I moved there, and I'm like, no, it was two years ago.
2: Yeah, that was a long time. It was. Fuck. i so. have been here a long time. Well, I appreciate us having us back and chatting about dumb shit that we do. Hopefully some more. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, cool. George. Thanks, thanks
1: George.